as Christians living in uh, 2015, uh, it's, it's important for us to be reminded and remind ourselves that we, we do not let uh, a Supreme Court decision of June of this year be the final word on marriage simply because five of the nine Supreme Court justices created a law out of a right that does not exist under the U.S. Constitution doesn't make it right. Reminded of a letter from Martin Luther King, it's called the letter from a Birmingham jail. When he was arrested and uh, as he was in the jail, he was asked the question, how, how you're, you're in jail because you broke the law and yet you encourage us not to break the law. And they say, it's, it's hypocrisy. What's the deal here? And I, I love what Martin Luther King wrote. And I'm going to quote. He says, there are two kinds of laws, of man's laws. They, those that are just and those that are unjust. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I'm continuing to quote from what Dr. King said. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. So I remind you that, that the issue of marriage is not settled. It may be settled in, in the, with the Supreme Court. It is not settled in our land. And I, I'm going back to a decision that was made 42 years ago. Hard for me to imagine that it's been 42 years since 1973. When, the, when Roe versus Wade was handed down. And I realize how many of y'all have been born, and this is going to be shocking to some of us more mature congregants, but how many of y'all have been born since 1973? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Proudly, these hands go up. Okay. I remember, I remember and, and the other, the rest of the congregation will remember uh, the battles in the, in the, of, of 1973, our church uh, was, uh, was on the front lines of, uh, of going to Washington. Several here went to Washington, D.C. for the Right to Life rallies and marches there in Washington. Several every year we would go down to Atlanta for the, the Right to Life march. Several of, of the people in the House of Prayer were instrumental in, in beginning and set on the first board for the Appalachian Area Crisis Pregnancy Center that's now the Women's Enrichment Center. And so there's, there's a history there, but I'm reminded that, that because I remember that, there, there's a lot of, lot of people in our congregation that have lived under, the, under man's law that is legal to have an abortion in this country at any time, for any reason, up until the day of the birth of the baby. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it right. Since that ruling 42 years ago, the abortion industry led by Planned Parenthood in this country has, been, has taken more American lives than was lost in the American Revolution, in the Civil War, in World War I, in World War II, in the Korean War, in Vietnam, in Grenada, in Kuwait, Afghanistan, Iraq, all combined, all combined. We think of the atrocities of Hitler in Nazi Germany, and it was an atrocity. Over, over 11 million Jews 
were exterminated. We think of the atrocities of Stalin as he came into power in, in Russia. Over 20 million of his own people were eradicated and exterminated. What does the Bible have to say about this whole issue? We're hearing it today. There'll be those that will say, hey, it's a settled issue. But it's not a settled issue as far as the life of the mother that's involved, the life of the child that's taken, and its effect on culture as a whole. I, uh, I, 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 I look and I see... And rightfully so, but I see the, the, what's happening on the news when we have the shooting in, in Oregon. We have school shootings. And we have the devalue of human lives. And I watch political leaders as they try to springboard and take advantage of our culture of death and try to use that as an excuse to take away Second Amendment rights of uh, the right to bear arms. And as of yet... My understanding is that behind every gun or behind every knife or behind every club that's used to take of life, there's usually a human being. Behind every car that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, there's, that takes a life, there's either an accident, there's someone that's got a problem, or there's usually drugs or alcohol involved. For this reason, I think it's important that we as followers of Christ... Be able to have an answer of why we think human life is important. We need to be able to have an answer. I believe we need to be able to have a biblical answer. Of, and people, when people say, well, well, hey, this whole issue of, of abortion, it's just a matter of preference. Because, because many Christians believe in, in the right to, to, to kill a baby as they do the right to, to, to have that baby come to life. So today... I want, to, I want to revisit this issue, and part of, my, part of my, what I believe the Lord is encouraging me is, is I want you to be thinking, what, uh, what verse, if, if somebody said, okay, what do, you, what do you base your belief on? What verse would I, uh, would I give them? I want to give you some verses. Before that, let me just give you this. These stats are outdated and, and probably have some, uh, Jackie's working on getting some more pertinent, updated stats. These are, these are a little old. I'm going to share some uh, some stats with you of a message I preached in 1994. My goodness, that's been 21 years ago. Is that 21? 21 years ago. I know, I know. <laughs> Ancient history indeed, Anise. In 1994, a baby was, a baby's life was taken by abortion every 20 seconds in the United States. Every 20 seconds. Now, now listen to this. Every year, and the number's only gone up since then, every year, there are over 1 million requests for adoptions for newborns that go unfulfilled because there's no newborns that they can adopt. Now, I understand recently I was asked, matter of fact, uh, last week, I understand this. Somebody came and said, Drew, you know, you, you, you're, you're, such, you're so staunch on this and you're so adamant about this. But what about what about?" the cases of, of rape or incest. Wow. And those are tough situations. I, 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 listen, those are harsh, hard situations. But understand 
that of the, the abortions that performed in this country, over the over 50 million deaths that have been a result of abortion. Matter of fact, Barbara, and I, Barbara was re- reading two weeks ago to me, uh, ben, Dr. Ben Carson had made a statement in Campaign Trail, and he was taken to task about abortion was the leading cause of death of young black people in this country. And so the New York Times and some of the, some of the elite organizations just called his hand on it and said, that's ridiculous. And I'll never forget, it was, it, what was ridiculous was reading one of their takes on it. One of the takes says, well, if you consider that abortion ends in death, then he might could say that. Give me a break. You remember that, baby? I mean, it's like, you got to be kidding me. What planet, you know, what spaceship did these people just step off of? To think of something like that. But, 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 but we, look at this, we look at this culture and we see the attack on, we see the, the, almost the anarchy, the attack on law enforcement, open season, it seems to be, which, which is horrible. It's horrendous. These men and women that put their lives on the line to protect us. And then we have people chanting death slogans. Those are the people that should be arrested. Then we have this whole thing about which lives matter. Every life matters to God. Black, white, red, yellow, all life is sacred and should be valued. I see the politicization, politicization, politics. I see how politics has usurped this whole thing of, of, uh, with, with what's happening with violence. And I shake my head because they cannot make the connection with the culture of death that began over 42 years ago in this country. When you devalue human life in the womb, you devalue all human life. Back then, there were those. I remember reading the. Uh, I remember reading a Supreme, this part of the Supreme Court decision on Roe Wade, and I remember reading one of the one of the justices that had, had that was in the affirmative that he had voted to to make abortions legal. And I remember at the time he said, uh, he said if and when. Medical science ever reaches the point where they can say conclusively that this tissue in the womb is life, then the whole house of Roe versus Wade will fall and be overturned. Well, how's that turned out? Yeah. Today, with our medical, the advancements of medical technology, ultrasound in the womb, and all this, and by the way, I just happened to, uh, I happen to have a picture after first service. Noah and Christine Cole came up, and they gave me this ultrasound of her baby, their baby, in her womb. And uh, she was pointing out, she said, you keep this. You show this to second service, because over here is his little, his, generic for boy. <laughs> it's a baby. Over here is the, the baby's hand reaching out. And so today we, you know, today we know, medical science knows, that the, the, the life in the womb it goes away from pain. It can express pleasure. It, uh, it, you know, it, it experiences a lot of emotions. Oh, law. Well, let me just quickly go with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some some verses. You can write these down. But in Genesis one twenty seven, from the from the moment of the creation, when it says, "Let us make man in our image," life is important. Remember, even in the New Testament. When Jesus was asked about paying taxes, and he said, show me a coin. Who's, whose picture's on the coin? Whose image is on the coin? Well, he said, it's, it's, you know, it's, the, it's the, the emperor, the ruler, Roman. And he said, then give to him that which belongs to him. 
but to God that which belongs to God. Now, what was Jesus saying? The coin is stamped in the image of the emperor or the president or some figure. Give that tax to them. But we all bear the image of God and we belong to him. Life is a gift from him. Jeremiah chapter one, verse four and five. And I love this and read that. And verse five says, and before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I had already set you apart. Isaiah 44 again says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. Luke 1, I love the passage in Luke 1, 41, 44. Remember when Mary, when the, when the angel had just appeared to Mary and, and, uh, and told her that God had chosen her to, to have his child, the Christ child. And Mary submitted herself in, uh, to the Lord. And, and so she, she was this, here she is, this young virgin girl. And now, she's, now there's life inside her. And she goes and leaves and goes up, up north into Galilee to her cousin Elizabeth. Probably for a couple reasons, but one, because the angel had said, Elizabeth is up in years. Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, couldn't have any kids. And he says, by the way, you remember, uh, he says, nothing's too is impossible with God. You remember Elizabeth? Yeah. Well, she's going to have a baby. Not Elizabeth, not cousin Elizabeth. They couldn't have kids. She's too old to have kids. And I imagine the angel said, go check it out. So she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And by Elizabeth, by this time now, is most likely around six months pregnant. And I imagine that. Not only was Mary to go up there to check that out, but probably she goes back and tells her mom and dad, and they're saying, honey, you need to get away for a while. But also because she's going to learn. So she stays there to write at time for, for Mary, uh, Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, to be born. But you remember the exchange there when Mary comes and uh, greets Elizabeth. And remember what happens? Mary says, uh, to Elizabeth says to Mary, when, when I heard your voice, the baby inside me leaped for joy. Listen to that. Six months old in the womb and hear the, the voice of the mother of our Lord and Savior and John the Baptist is doing didos in there. You know, he's doing flips. Wow, there's a lot of verses. I'll share more with you. But I want you to go now with me quickly to Psalms 139 because to me, this is the premier passage of, that we need to be looking at when it comes to the creator, the giver of life to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you're turning there, let me just tell you a story. The story goes back to 1999. Jeff Jefferson and I, Jeff shared this story with me. We were, we were part of a of, of small group, the house prayer, and we went to see our sister church in Israel, or in, in Russia. But before that, we, we stopped off in Israel for a few days. And we went to the Holocaust Museum there in Israel. With us in our group that day was Frank and Flo Ford. And uh, Frank's gone home to be with the Lord now. But he was a part of the American troops that came into Germany right at the end of World War II. He was, matter of fact, he was one of the very first ones, very first ones, to go into Auschwitz and to some of these death camps. And when we, got to the, when we came to the Holocaust Museum, Frank was sitting outside on a wall. I'll never forget this picture. He was sitting out on the, on, outside on a wall crying like a baby. He said, I can't go in. I can't go in. You, you, you go. 
It's too, it's too, and this is 1999. It had been over, it had been over 99 to 49. It had been over 50 years, 49 to 99. That's right. It'd been over 50 years since he'd went into those death camps. He said, I can't go. And I soon understood why. As a, uh, as he went through the museum, I moved from, and Jeff, you, you remember Jeff was there. We went, moved from room to room. And, uh, and, and the, 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 the feeling was, was oppressive. It was heavy to me. I, as I looked at the pictures, my first, my first probably response was, was just a, re, a repulsion. What, what am I doing here? Then I got, ang- I got mad. Barbie said, honey, dogs go mad. People get angry. I was somewhere in between those two. I was mad. Because I thought, how? And, and when I see how... Could, how could civilized people? Germany is one of the most civilized societies in the, in the world, and, and the rest of the world. How could, how could civilization get to this place? Well, there on the wall, as we went through the museum, the answer unfolded to me because there was news clippings of the time that told the chilling story about the death of these millions of individuals stacked up black cordwood, like we had stacked firewood. How could it happen? It happened because the victims were not considered people. Go figure. Go figure. They're, they they looked like me. They had eyes, ears, nose, hands, feet. Felt like I did. But they had a hair color that may have been different. Mine was black at the time. You wouldn't believe that. But they were Jews. And their rights had been stripped away until they were no longer considered people. Matter of fact, they weren't even considered a benefit to the third right and were that a threat. It's kind of like the way today that the rights of the unborn have just been taken away, reclassified, the Jews were as inferior or useless Socially unwanted till they could legally, legally be terminated. Well, the pro-abortion, the pro-murder group have, were successful in passing laws, interpretations that say the developing baby was, uh, was not a human being, just a tissue. And I guess if that's true, then every individual should have the right to do with tissue whatever they want to do. But if it's not true, and as a follower of Christ and a person who believes in Scripture, I believe that the final decision is not left into the hand of lawyers or politicians or even doctors. I believe it's left in the hand of the supreme judge of the universe. And he's already handed down his final decision on it. Look at Psalms 139. Powerful, powerful Scripture. We're going to start off, the first, the first six verses, and we're going to go through it quickly here. First six verses talk about God's knowledge about us. Look at this. He says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my down sitting, you know when I sit down when I get up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You can pass my path, my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. And it's more than just a, yeah, I know him. As we read this, you're going to see it's talking about a, a, a close, intimate knowledge. God Knows us. It's like when your husband or wife, Barbie says, Barbie says to me, I know you. Uh, yeah, that, she's not just talking about, I know your name. 
She's talking about, I know you. I know the way you think. I know the way you act. Hell, I know, you know, I got you. I got you pegged. God knows us. He says, for there's not a word in my tongue, but Lord, you know it all together. You have beset me behind before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. It's just saying, Lord, you know this much about me. You know all about me. And it just boggles me. God's knowledge about us. But not only that, look now in verse, at the next verse 7 through 12. Look at God's presence with us. The psalmist says, where, do I go, where, where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Even the night shall be around me. If I say, God can't see me, it's dark. Darkness and light. Yes, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. He knows us. He's, he, he, he knows us, and his presence is always with us. We talk about our darknesses. We talk about the, the difficult times in our life. Some of you, uh, Skip was sharing about hitting Robin and, and, and uh, a difficult time. Sometimes we refer to those as a dark time. But a dark time is no dark time with God. He's there with us. Always with us. Verse 13. I've got to, got to quick go on now. Verse 13 and through verse 18 we're going to look at. Look about, it talks about his workmanship in within us. Look at this. Verse 13. For thou, and that word thou in the Hebrew is, uh, is an emphatic. It's, it's, a, it's an emphatic. It's not as far. For you, Lord, you alone. You, God, without anybody else. You alone. And has possessed my reins. Now, some other translation makes it a little bit easier to understand there. What does it say? Huh? Formed my inward parts. Yeah. Reigns, in the Hebrew, the word that's used Charlie, for that is kidneys. <laughs> now, when you get to my age, that's significant. <laughs> but the picture is, the picture is, is of our internal organs. The kidneys, the heart, the liver, the, the, all this stuff inside. And says, Lord, you have, you, have, you have knitted this together. You form me, you and you alone. Don't forget that. Oftentimes, we talk about life, and we, th- we think that we create life, that a man and woman create life. Don't ever let that you know, come to the point of where that's where we are. Look at Zachariah and Elizabeth. They wanted to have children, and they couldn't. Think about others who've wanted to have kids, and they couldn't. It's not a man and woman can get together. They can do the physical act. They can have intercourse, but they don't create life. Life is a gift from God. He's the one that determines that. He says, you and you alone are the giver of life. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. Now, it may have been by surprise to some of our parents, okay? It may have been a surprise to them, but it's not a surprise to God because God said he knew us. He, had, he knew who we were, and he was there as he formed us together, as he brought that, that sperm and that seed together. Somebody after first service would tell me, they, they said, man, we, I just got through doing a talk on, on life, and, and they, they, there's words for this and all this. They were going, and they, he was so excited. Well, the psalmist is getting pretty excited. You and you alone. 
You have, you have knit me, you've formed my, my inward parts, my, my, this, these organs. He says, you've covered me. You, you've, you've covered me in my mother's womb. It means to weave or to plant or to uh, intertwine. He's talking about our, our sinews, our veins, our arteries from a single cell to a fully formed baby. The material parts are lovingly and, and, and intentionally knit together by an invisible master creator, God. Look at verse 14. David says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knoweth right well. David shouts out in praise and wonder as he considers God's handiwork informing everything about him. Look in verse 15. He says, my substance... Was not hid from you. And the word there, substance, is a, is, is a word that would, that would uh, probably, it's kind of a, a hard, it would be like our, our, our skeleton, okay? Our framework, the framework, the skeleton, was, was you were part of creating that makeup, the bony substance. God not only designs our vital organs, but God's created the skeletal forms as well. Now, I can remember, I've shared with you, I remember thinking God's messed up. With me. Here I was, I was a short, I was a really tall athlete trapped in a short man's body. <laughs> and I, I, I played, played basketball, tried to, and, and I, I kept thinking, man, if I, could, if I could ever get six foot, I'd jerk those backboard down. I, you know, I did, I'd have to watch out. And so it's true. For years, when I was, there was a period of time there, I was 14, 14, 15. And I would, uh, I would lay down on my belly in bed, and I would lay on my belly, and I would stretch down to the bottom of the bed, and I would hook my feet, my toes, over the end of the mattress, and I would grab a hold of the headboard, and I would, and and, and I went to sleep thinking I could stretch myself into being taller. I don't know what kind of bed you had, Randy, and and Bonnie, but Skip got some stretching done there. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, not being crass at all, but it's just, it's just it's really true. I remember telling one day, saying something to Daddy about this, how deprived I was. Daddy was short. Mom was short. You know, I should have, God, you messed up. I should have been born to, look at Jim Bryant. I should have been born to tall parents, you know, so I could be tall. And Daddy said, son, your feet touch the floor, don't you? I said, yeah. And he said, they reach your butt, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, they're about right. began to sink in with me and made good sense because it was, it was about that point that I began to realize, God, I'm exactly who you created me to be. Why can't I relax in this and just trust you? Yeah. And I've told you the story of Charles Allen. Charles and I working on the Family Life Center. We're up on, on scaffolding, putting those metal railings, Gary, that we hung all that drywall stuff on. And, uh, you know, and Charles up there, and he's just, a, he just bzz, 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 and I'm as far as I can go. And Charles looked down at me and said, I wonder why God even made short people. Ah, <laughs> uh, but God's so good. It wasn't long after that we were putting down molding. <laughs> baseboard. Putting down baseboard. And I remember looking one day up at Charles and said, I wonder why God even made tall people. <laughs> it's fine down here. But it was, it was part of this whole thing of coming to realize that God has created us. Now, there's obviously some things that we can tweak and, you know, work on. I mean, you can tweak hair color. 
I hadn't found that growing stuff yet. I don't know. Some people claim it. I just hadn't, hadn't worked for me. It grows on my ears. I got some on my ears. Anyway, <laughs> but, but as far as our frame, as far as our, sub, our substance, our inner parts, God has created us. And David just breaks out in this. And he said, when, when I consider all this, all that you've done, he said, I realize it's you. Now look in verse 16. David says, your eyes saw my substance being unformed, un- unperfect. And in your book, whose book? God's book. In God's book, all my members. In God's book, there's a design there that says, Jerry Hill. There's a design there, Ron, with your name on it. Owen with your name on it. David with your name on it. And we're perfect in his sight. He says, they were written in your book, which in contingents were fashioned even before we were there. It says, when as yet there was none of them. Before we were there, God formed us and he had his plan. Look in verse 17. I, I look at this, and, and, I, and I knew from, you know, David said, David's come to this realization. From start to finish, God, it's all about you. I'm not in charge. You're in charge. Sometimes we get the wrong, we get this erroneous idea that we're in charge of things. Sam, you've probably never done that. Sometimes we think we're in charge of our career. How's that going for you? Sometimes we get to think that I'm in charge of my family. I'm in charge of my home. Yeah. How's that going for you? It's when we, when we relax and realize who really is in charge. And we can learn to trust him with him being in charge. Let him be God. I love the way the psalmist, no wonder. I love this, the writer, David, if it's attributed to David. And David has said, we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. You know, we're the sheep. We're just a sheep. He's out there shepherding us. You know, we, we sheep, we're easy. We, we follow we follow. He takes us to, to still waters. He takes us to green pastures. He sustains us. He protects us. He provides for us. He loves us. Not only that, look at, look at, look in verse 17 now and verse 18 with David's overwhelming response. How precious also are your thoughts to me. Whose thoughts are you talking about? He says, God, how precious are your thoughts about me? God's thinking about you. God's thinking about me. Look at this. Oh, God, how great is the sum of them? What? That much? If I count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. Have you ever heard somebody say, you might as well count the sand on the seashore as to count that? Yeah, what it means, this means you can't count it. What's David saying? God's thoughts, you know God's thinking about you more more than we can even count. I, I love this. What's this, um, the presidential, can- narcissism, that's kind of my new word, narcissistic. I, I, I'm kind of impressed that I learned that. Um, narcissism, it's all about me, right? Who's the guy? Trump. Trump, you listen to Trump, it's everything's about him. Yeah, yeah, he trumps everything. I built the China Wall, I built the internet. Now, he was there before Gore got there. Narcissistic, it's like Jackie used to talk about, their pastor used to say, I'm always on my mind. <laughs> Trump's always on his mind. You know, some of us were always there. But did you realize this? Listen now. God's not always on my mind. He needs to be there more. He's not always on my mind. Because Isaiah says that blessed are those when when he keeps those in perfect peace who keeps their hearts and minds stayed on him because they trust in him. But look what he says. Even when he's not on my mind, I'm on his. Did you realize that? You're on God's mind all the time. Somebody said if God had a refrigerator, 
your picture would be on it. Huh? Well, we grandparents know what that's like, don't we? We do. Go to my house. There's a, there's a picture fell off the other day. I thought it was a Picasso and I'd ruin it. Get that up from there, honey. What are you doing? <laughs> don't you know our grandkids made that? They printed that. But what is it? It don't matter. They printed it. Yeah? That's God loves you and loves me. And he has us on his mind all the time. Wow. Wow. That's, that's our loving creator, God. Let me give you just a couple things to, to think about as I'm wrapping this up. The, the clock's tore up, but Craig has got it down and everything is good. He's got an hourglass up there now and it's running out. First lesson for me is that God is a giver of life. Though our laws currently permit abortion, it's clear to me that that in the womb is a baby. And according to God's higher law is life, planned and ordained by him. God has a plan for every life. No human being has a right to abort his plan. He has a plan. Since God has a plan for every life, he's got a plan for your life. He loves you. You're always on his mind. Wow. He knows all about us. He created us. He designed us. Obviously, he loves diversity. <laughs> and that's a good thing, right? Isn't that neat? You know how boring it would be if, we, if all of you looked like me? God would not do that even to the human race. Yeah? <laughs> he loves us. He loves us. He wants us to know who he is, and he wants a relationship with you. Not only to you to know about him, he wants you to know him. He knows you. And you know what? He loves you. Let's pray. Father, as we, uh, as we just finished looking at your word together, your word is so spot on. Your word is so powerful. No wonder you describe it as sharper than a two-edged sword because your word is able to come in and separate uh, the, the fallacies of man with the facts of your word and, and fillet it out. Your word, Lord, is like a, a precision scalpel in the hands of a master surgeon coming in and doing the work so that we can heal and be well. Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us that we would be equipped not only with just what we believe, but we would be equipped with why we believe what we believe biblically. What does God's word have to say about that? Because you are the final authority. Lord, don't let us be like Israel was in the days of the king when your word says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. That turned out pretty badly for them. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful that that's pretty much where we are as a country if we're not careful right now in the United States. People just doing what they think's right, justifying it and find means to back up why they believe that way. Dear God, may we as followers of Christ go to the, the truth of your word and Lord, may there we found a foundation to build and to base our beliefs upon. And be able to articulate that. Be able to share that quickly and precisely. And in, in, a, and in a loving way with those, with our neighbors, with our people we go to school with or we work with. And a lot of them who don't even have any biblical background. But Lord, may we be able to 
share why we believe and what we believe in such a way that your Holy Spirit would be able to speak to their heart and say, wow, he loves me that much? It is amazing. It's overwhelming. Now, Father, as we close this, my prayer that there may be those today that may even be Christians here that do silly things like hang their feet over the bed mattress and try to make ourselves taller than we ever will be because we just hadn't understood your design for us yet. Lord, help us to relax and trust your design, trust you, that you know us, you knitted us together, we're your masterpiece. You've still got us on your workbench. Ephesians would say that, that, uh, you're, that we're, you're, we're your workmanship, your craftsmanship. You're still finishing that. You're completing that. You've designed us for good works to bring you glory, and you're doing that. So help us, Lord, this morning. And Father, I'm aware that there may be uh, people here this morning that know about you, maybe people here that are good people, but they've never just relaxed and said, God, I need you to save me. If you know me that well, and you do, and you love me that much, and you do, then Lord, surely, if I confess my sins, you'll forgive me, and you will. So if that's you this morning, right where you sit, why don't you just say, God, you must love me a lot. I've struggled with some areas of workmanship in my life. I may have struggled with you in the life that I've had. But Lord, I realize now that my struggle's been with myself and with the enemy. And I need to trust you. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me. Make me yours. Right now. Just do that. He will come in. He will forgive you. You can trust him. Thank you, Jesus, for your word sets us free. That your word that becomes a foundation that we stand upon. Heaven and earth may pass away, but your word is settled. We give you glory in Christ's name. Amen.